Welcome to the Victor Orlando Podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. In this series, we've been looking at what kind of leads up to that Easter moment, right? We've been looking at Jesus on the cross and the seven statements that he made while on the cross. He makes these statements um, as only Jesus can uh, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of abuse and torment and all these things hanging on the cross, paying for sins, and yet he's teaching us lessons, right? We know that he was fully God and fully man, and here he is in this place teaching us some things, and they're they're life lessons for us that if we can take these principles and put them to place in our lives that we can then overcome in our own bad day. So whether you're having a bad day right now, or maybe you just came out of one, or the truth is then you're about to go into one. Like, this is for all of us. So if you're like, this isn't for me, then still take, you can still take notes because one day you're going to need it, and it's going to be, I believe this will be a blessing to your life. We've been kind of took this idea of of these, looking at these statements from our, our theme verse has been Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 3, um, we're in week 6, so maybe you're starting to have it memorized by now. That's good. Today, I want to read it from the, the Living Bible. We've read it each week from a different translation to kind of give it a different perspective on this verse. It says this, Keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader and our instructor. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy that he knew would be his afterwards, and that was us. He knew that we would know him afterwards, right? And now he sits in the place of honor by the throne of God. So if you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary, think about his patience as sinful men did terrible things to him. So if we're going to overcome in our own bad day, like Jesus did, then, then we can look to him as our example. How did Jesus overcome in his own bad day? How, so that we don't grow weary, so that we don't become faint, so that we have strength in the middle of some turbulent times, some painful situations, and some things that don't make sense. We can make it out on the other side. Last week, um, we talked about this whole idea of being human enough to acknowledge our need, lowering some pride, raising some humility, and being willing to ask for help when we need it from our Heavenly Father and from others, right? Jesus shows us this picture. He's hanging, been hanging on the cross, and there he is, and he says these words, I am thirsty, right? And if Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, needed some help to make it through some hard days, like we will too. And that's okay to ask for help. Like there's no shame in asking for help. Jesus is showing that. We know that Jesus got the help. He got the drink. And today I want to look at um, the sixth statement that he made. And just for clarification, the sixth statement comes right after the fifth statement. (laughs) In case you're wondering where to find it, it's right after the fifth one. I say that because it's the very next thing that happens. We're going to start in John chapter 19, verse 30. It says this. It says, when Jesus had received the drink that he asked for... Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Uh, This statement right here is mistakenly thought of as the last statement that he made. But he actually makes another statement after this. Um, And so knowing that, it's interesting to hear that statement, it is finished. Because he says the statement when in fact it wasn't finished. He's still alive. He's still there on the cross. He's still in pain. He's still paying for sins in this moment, but he's saying it is finished. 
And that whole thing of like, God, I'm in the middle of something right now. I'm dealing with this painful thing. Like, what's, what's going on? The it is finished is actually the lesson that Jesus is trying to show us. That it might not look like it is finished. We might feel like we're still in the middle of things. But Jesus is saying, it is finished. God's got this. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this principle down because it's so powerful for us if we begin to take it and begin to apply it in our lives as this, is that be assured that there is a purpose and an end. Be assured that there is a purpose and an end. Tell your neighbor, say assured. Tell your second choice, they know where they stand now, say assured. Assured, yep, that's all right. Second isn't all that bad. Well, assured. We need to have assurance. That's really my hope for us is that we would leave today with assurance, with being assured. We might not leave with all the answers. We might not leave with the solution that we need. But we can leave with assurance. We can leave with trust. We can leave with faith. And so I want to talk about this whole idea of today, what assurance is and how do we do that? Because it's good to talk about it, but then how do I do that when I begin facing some things? And um, so I want to begin by looking at the story from the oldest book of the Bible, and that's the book of Job. Um, Genesis is not the book of the Bible. I know may, maybe you thought that, that, well, Genesis is the first one, so that's got to be the oldest one. But our Bible is not arranged in chronological order. It's, a, it's grouped by the type of book that is there. And Job is included, um, it's near the middle of the Bible, right before Psalms. Um, and it's included in what's called the poetry section, right? Job, um, the first two or so chapters of Job is a historical account. And then the last two or so chapters of Job is the end of the historical account. And all the other chapters in the middle are the poetry part. Right? And it's it's very interesting read. If you've never read it, I encourage you uh, to do so. But basically, the story of what happens to Job is that um, Job was a devout man, a God-fearing man. And he basically had a very, very bad day. He lost everything. He lost his uh, all of his possessions, his livestock, he lost his family, he lost his kids, everything was gone. Um, but really, except for his wife, his wife wasn't gone. She was still there. She must have been something special. If, if she was left, the devil didn't want to touch her, right? All the demons were like, Satan, I think you forgot something. He was like, no, we don't need to take her, right? It's kind of a funny thing. She was a trip. She... When we actually hear her say something in the story, Job is sitting on an ash pile, like he's sitting on the rubble of his stuff. He's got boils all over his body, like so now he's lost his health. And he says, Scripture says he takes a piece of a clay pot and begins to scrape his flesh off. And his wife, his wife leans over and says, why don't you curse God and die? <laughs> Woo! That's a, that, now you know why the devil didn't want to take her either. <laughs> That's the kind of wife, you know, that Proverbs talks about. It's better to be in the tiny corner on the top of a house than to have that kind of wife. I'm glad there's none of those here today. Come on, ladies. Y'all are awesome. I love my wife. She's not like that. She's very encouraging. And guys, don't, don't just keep them locked in right now. I don't want you to get in trouble. Don't want you to get in trouble. It's just interesting. There's, y'all, there's just so much humor in the Bible. If you just read it that way, it'll just be so much more enjoyable to you, and I hope, I hope you do that. Uh, 
So we see Job, he's lost everything. And really the poetry part is just Job complaining. <laughs> it's him questioning God. And it's um, encouraging to know that that's included in the Bible. Like there's complaining in the Bible. Yep, there's actually a whole other book called Lamentations that's all complaining. And if that's your jam, then you need to just dig into that right there. That's all right. If that's where you are, just own it, baby. And just, just like you, you in good company right there with my boy Job complaining. And Job is there. And wouldn't you know, while all this stuff is going down, Job had some friends that came and helped him complain. They were helping him question God. And isn't it just work out the same way for us sometimes when we start going through some things and things start going down? We got friends that come out of nowhere and they just want to wallow in all of our pity with us and let us know how bad we feel. And like, no, no, like we don't need that. That's why it's so important to belong to the church. Like, don't attend, belong. That's the difference. Right? When you belong, there's people there that have the word in them that are, are seeking God the same way you are. That can build you up. That can speak life into you. Be like, hey, I know it's tough right now, but, but let's, put on, let's put on some Hillsong United, baby. Like, we, we can sing. Uh, like, get our perspective right. right? Um, so we see this going on in Job. and um, There's a couple passages of Scripture that really kind of sum up the process of what Job is going through. Um, it's Job chapter 30, it starts in verse 20, and it really kind of sums up all of his complaining and probably some of ours in these couple of verses. It says, Job is speaking, he says, I cry out to you, God, but you don't answer. Maybe you felt like that before. I know I have. He says, I stand up, but you merely look at me. All you do is look at me. Another translation says, I stand before you, but you pay no attention to my prayers. <laughs> and it's just a... Uh, if we're honest, probably a lot of us have been there, right? But when you hear what he's saying, like, you hear kind of like a little bit of a spoiled kid in there, a little bit like, I pray to you, but you never listen to me, right? And you hear it. We hear it in our own self sometimes when we make blanket statements, right, with our over-exaggerations. You always, you never, God, you're never there for me. God, what have you ever done for me, Right? Stuff always, bad stuff always happens to me. We hear in this kind of complaining voice in our own selves. And here's Job in this place making these statements. This honestly goes on for about 30 chapters of the book. It's, it's encouraging. But then the Lord gets to this place. And if you have kids, you know this place where your kids are complaining or going on and fighting. I want the cookies. I never get the cookies. And finally the Lord is like, enough. Y'all with kids know what I'm talking about. The Lord has said, I've had enough. In Job 38, the first verse, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. That's that place, the storm, parents, right? Like, stop it. I've had enough of that. Like, I mean, it's kind of cool that God would speak to him from the storm, but it would definitely get my attention. Right? The Lord said this. He said, Who is this that obscures my plants with words without knowledge? It's interesting. He's saying, you're getting in the way of my plans with words that you are speaking without any knowledge. You're speaking about something you don't even know about. He goes on, he says, brace yourself like a man. <laughs> he says, I will question you and you will answer me. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Where were you when I did that, baby? Like, what, where, what were you doing? Tell me if you understand who marked off the earth's dimensions. Surely you know. Can you hear that rhetorical question? He, he doesn't need Job to answer, right? He says, uh, who stretched out the measuring line across it? In verse 18, he says, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? 
Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And by the way, do you know where darkness resides? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. <laughs> you hear the little bit of like, in God's voice, you know, like a little bit of sarcasm in there, a little bit of like, what's up now? Right? Because he's the God who always existed. And then he says this, because you've lived so many years, surely you know the answer, right? Right? <laughs> There's just a little bit in there. I hope you see it in there. Job does um, what any of us would do, whether you're a Christian or not, when you're faced with this kind of questioning from God. Be like, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, God. My bad. Um, he goes on in, in chapter 40, verse 3, the, Lord, the Job answers the Lord. He says, I'm unworthy. My bad. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Surely Job is understanding in this process is like, oh, I spoke about some things that I didn't know about, and I just thought that I was on your level, but I'm really not. And sometimes we get in that place with God when we're in the middle of our complaining, we're in the middle of trying to process through something. That's the buzzword, how we call it today. I just need to process. And it's really just a fancy way to say I'm complaining. I'm upset about what's going on. I didn't feel like I got dealt a fair share in this thing. And we're taking taking it to God. And and God then, you know, has a response to us. And it's because we're trying to make God line up to how we want him to respond. How we've made sure that everything we wanted to work out this way. And a miracle is if I see it happen this way. As if God needs to keep up with our standards. Remember, we belong to him. We are his creation. We are the sheep of his pasture. That means it's his pasture and, and we are invited to be part of it. And he doesn't have to keep up with our standards. We're invited to keep up to his standards, right? And the same kind of thing is thinking as if, as if we can think of the best solution for how to think things work out. But we think that way. Because we hold so tightly to it, and then we're so upset or distraught if it, God just didn't come through. Well, no, God comes through in ways. It just may not be the way that we planned it out. So we're going to look at this today. There's, this is the place that Job is in. And in Job, uh, we skip to Job 42. We see Job make three statements uh, to the Lord and about the Lord that are really have become part of Christian theology, defining some of the attributes of who God is, that if we're going to overcome in our bad days that we need to understand, get a hold of, have some assurance of who the nature and the character of God is so that we can have victory in those days. So I want to look at these. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 5. Then Job replied to the Lord. He said, I know. In other words, to say that is I'm convinced or I'm assured. I have assurance. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Uh, Sorry, that was me. Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So he's saying, you're a big God. There's more about you than I can understand. I don't know everything, but you do. And isn't that good news? Right? Think about it for a minute. If all of God, if I could explain all of who God is, then would he be that great? If all of God could fit into my brain, into my understanding, would we really want to worship him? 
No, like his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We will never be able to understand all of who God is and why he does this or why he does that. That's where faith and trust enters in because God is sovereign and he doesn't have to explain himself to us. And yet he does. He put his nature and his character and the ways of his kingdom and how he operates down in the pages of the, the words so that we could understand. And yet we, we struggle and want him to line up with us when he's inviting us to know who he is so that we can trust in him even when things don't make sense, even when things seem like they took a turn for the worse. Oh, I can't explain why that person, God, why don't you move in this? Like we can begin to understand who he is, that he knows some things. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. Oh, we're, we're stuck in the middle trying to make sense of it all. If we would just stop and begin to trust him, trust the one who knows the beginning from the end. Like he's, he knows some things that we don't and that's okay. <laughs> Job is realizing this. He says, you said, listen, and I will speak and I will question you and you will answer me. Then he says this powerful statement next. He says, my ears have heard of you, but my eyes have now seen you. So he's going from this moment of I've heard about you. I, I, I've been in church. I've heard some good messages. I've, I've sung the songs and, and, and all these things. I know some scriptures, but now I've seen you. I've experienced you for myself. Like it goes beyond knowing about to knowing personally, right? That's why we say don't just come to church. Experience who God is. Experience all that he has. Like we need to have that personal experience where it goes beyond knowing about him to I've experienced who he is and his goodness for myself. Up close. It's personal. That's who our God is. He wants to be close. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to write these three characteristics, these attributes of who God is down, because I believe they're going to help us in our, our own bad days. The first one is this, God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. That's uh, the theological word for this uh, is omni, uh, omni, um, uh, omnipotent. Blah. I got it out. Omnipotent. There's a lot of omni words in here today. Omnipotent. Omni meaning all, potent meaning powerful. Omnipotent, right? God is all-powerful, right? So he's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got it all right there. And many would say, well, that's the problem. If God has all the power, why doesn't he do something for me? Right? Well, the answer is we don't know. And that's okay. God is the one who's all powerful. He's the one holding it together. Our job is not to make him perform for us. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Right? He's all powerful. He can do those things. That's who he is. Let me show you in scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 uh, says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So in other words, everything got started in him and finds purpose in him. Right? So if we want to find our purpose, it's found in knowing him. Right? It goes on, verse 17, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's holding all things together, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the first row. Sounds good. In his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Give your neighbor a high five for singing at church this morning. It's true. He's got the whole world in his hands. And we just have to realize he's holding it things together more than we realize. 
He's holding things together more than we realize. Sometimes we just get so fixated on the thing we're believing for or the thing that we haven't seen or what we're going through that we fail to realize all that God is actually doing. Like if, if you woke up this morning, you got some praise to give to the Lord because right. it says that we're not promised tomorrow. So if you wake up tomorrow morning, you better get up with a skip in your step with some praise on your lips, some thanksgiving in your heart. God, thank you for giving me breath today. Come on, somebody. He's all powerful, right? We just have to realize this. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Um, it's a familiar story for us. So many of us maybe heard it in Sunday school. We know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king. He made a statue out of gold of himself and said, when the band plays and they start jamming, I want everyone to bow down and worship. If you don't, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace, right? So the band starts playing. Everybody bows down, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Very good. So king finds out. He's furious. He brings these guys in. He says, hey, I'm going to give you one more chance. Band start playing. You guys worship. So the band starts. Guess what? They don't bow down. Now the king is super mad. He says, heat up the furnace seven times hotter. He says, now you bow down and worship right now or you going in the fire, right? I love the way these boys respond to Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. It says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from us. It's right there. God is able. He's all powerful. God is able. Listen to what he says next. And he will deliver us from your hand, king, right? He says, we know it. I'm assured of it. He will. My God is able and my God will. He will do it. Come on, somebody. That's good. But I love this next part. Maybe even a little more than the first part. He says, but even if he doesn't. So God can, God will. But what if he doesn't? Even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your king, O oh king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image you have set up. That's why it's just, it's better to have hope in an all-powerful God than a very limited us. Right? It's just, it's better. It's better to put our hope in him because God is all powerful and he will. But I'm just like, we just got to get ourselves to that place where even if he doesn't do it the way I think he does or in my time or whatever that is, like I, my hope, my trust is still in my heavenly father. Right? My trust is in him. Here's the next one. God is all knowing. God is all knowing. So God is all powerful and God is all knowing. The theological word there is omniscient. Omniscient, omniscient, as I would say, all knowledge is in him, is found in him. Right? He knows everything. He knows the beginning. He knows the middle. He knows the end. He knows how it all works together. Right? The problem for us is we're in the middle trying to look and to see the end. What's happening? How is this going to work out? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says this. It says, there is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. Oh, that's why I say, like, if you've got something rolling around in there that you haven't taken to him, you haven't dealt with, something you've been scared to say to him, oh, he's going to be mad at me. No, he already knows it's in there. So just go ahead and tell him it's going to help you a whole lot. You're going to get some freedom. You're going to get some healing in those areas. So just go ahead and bring it to him, right? For nothing we do remains a secret. Nothing, is cre nothing created is concealed, but everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes to whom we must render account. So don't try to hide stuff from him. Just bring it to your heavenly father. He loves you. He's for you, right? 
And that's the part where um, sometimes when we go through things and things don't work out the way we hope they did, you know, we're like, well, if I was in charge, I think I would have done that a different way. Right? But we don't know the ending. God does. So we put our trust and our hope in him, right? That's why we never have to be afraid to trust our unknown future to an all-knowing God. We don't have to be afraid of it. We can have assurance in it. We can have certainty in it, right? Here's the third one. God is ever-present. He's ever-present. The theological term for that is omnipresent. It just simply means that wherever we go, God is there. That's good to know. That's even one of his names, Emmanuel, God with us. Right? He's everywhere we go. And that's probably the most comforting part of being in a bad day is knowing that God is there with you. He's there walking through with you. Like you're not alone in it. Hebrews 13, uh, 5 and 6 says this. It says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's so good. Never. At any time. For any reason. Ever. For anything. At any time. Ever. Never ever. He'll never leave us, right? And since that's the case, so we say with confidence. So I say with assurance, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can mortals do to me? So what, what, what can this life bring to me that's going to that's gonna bring me down? God is with me. God is for me. So what does it matter, right? What does it matter, right? If God is there with me, I'm going to be all right. We just need to uh, adopt that, which, you know, by the way, um, <laughs> sometimes we, we get in the middle of something and then we begin to experience God's comfort and his presence in those uh, moments, right? When we're dealing with heartache or pain or something and then we start to kind of, uh, people come around to us and they want us to feel bad for what we're going through. They want us to feel down because they're kind of feeling down. And so then what do we do? We kind of back away from the comfort and the presence. We kind of make a, apologies for how good we feel. Can I just tell you, when you're going through something and you begin to draw close to God and then his presence comes in and then he brings you comfort, right? Because he's our comforter. He begins to give you joy in those things. Yes, we still experience heart, heartache. We still experience emotions. We still cry. We still go through those things. But there's comfort in it. There's hope in it. You don't have to apologize for how good you feel. And can I just tell you that ahead of time? The, com- the presence of God will bring comfort to you and you will feel good. So it's okay. I, I know because I, I've experienced that. When, when Heather and I lost our second daughter and even when I lost my uh, mom this past year, like people would come up to us and they'd be like, oh, how are you guys doing? Like, well, I, I pray for God's presence. I've been worshiping him. So I'm, doing, I'm doing good. They'd be like, oh, but it must be so hard for you. Like, what are you trying to do here? I'm telling you that God is bringing me healing and lifting me up, and you're trying to bring me down. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like, and so then people started coming up to me and like, will you pray for me? And like, I'm the one that just experienced the loss, and I'm praying that they would receive healing. Like, we don't have to apologize for how good we feel when we've got the presence of God around us. Come on, somebody. God is with us. Uh, Psalms 139 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. He says, where can I go from your spirit? This is verse 7. And where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far sides of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is with us. He's always with us. He never leaves us. He's right there. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters. So yeah, you're going to pass through the floods. Things are going to come, try to take you out, but don't be afraid. He said, I'm with you. Jeremiah 1, he said, don't be afraid of them. Those people who, who want to take you out, those people who are lying about you, the people who are gossiping about you, making plans about you. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. He said, I will rescue you. Matthew 28, Jesus said, I'm with you even to the ends of the age. Come on, are you getting it? This morning, God is with you. He's right in the middle of it with you. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about it. You're going to be all right, baby. He got this. It is finished. It's taken care of. It is finished, right? Come on, somebody. I'm preaching about 86% better than y'all are amen on today. So we're not looking to find the answer to everything. We're not trying to solve every problem. We're looking for that assurance, for that trust in who God is and who his nature and who his character is because of who he is. We want to, we're looking for that assurance and that trusting in him. So I want to give us a couple uh, declarations today to begin to tell ourselves, to begin to remind ourselves, because I know one thing, that it's Sunday, but Monday is coming. And after Monday comes Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And if all we got out of this was some excitement for a moment, and then tomorrow comes and we're like, well, that was a great message, but now what? Then we missed it. So I want to give us some declarations that if we'll begin to have some faith to begin to speak these things out, to begin to declare them over our lives, to begin to remind ourselves of these things when we feel discouraged, when we feel like it's too much for me to handle, when we feel like giving up, when we feel like there's no victory for me in this, like we begin to speak these things over our lives and over our families and over our kids and remind ourselves, we'll begin to experience the life of God. Man, it will begin to have victory in our lives. So Paul said it this way, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He said, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, there's no cause for shame, right? So he says, I'm suffering. I'm going through some things, but there's no cause for shame in it. Why? Because I know in whom I've believed. He said, so I have some knowing, I have some assurance in the, per, in the place I put my trust. So the question for us is where we put our trust. We put it in a paycheck. We put it in whatever else, a relationship, in mental assent. You know, if I can get everything there, if I can figure it out, if I put it in, in my ability to do something, maybe I put it in, you know, some substance or some other thing. Where have I put my trust? Because it's where we put our trust is what he's saying. I know in whom I believe. I know the, the person I put my trust in. And I'm convinced, I'm assured that he's able to guard what I've trusted in him until that day. So until the day that I meet him, I am convinced that he will guard me, that he will take me. It is finished. God has got this. There is a purpose and there is an end to it. Right? There is a purpose and there is an end to it. So let me give you these declarations today. If you're taking notes, write them down. And the first one is this. I know that God loves me. I know that God loves me. It seems so basic, but it's so important that we understand that God loves us, right? Because the way that we see God will determine our, our relationship, our experience with him, right? If we think he's a bad God or mad God, 
then we're, we're not going to have a, a very successful Christian life because we're always going to be hiding and just being religious, just trying to keep rules and keep things in order. And, and there's no salvation in that. That's not even what God is looking for. We might even see him as, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen God as, you know, the God you have to perform for him. You have to do right things, you know. Or maybe you've seen him like the Wizard of Oz, like this big giant floating head with smoke and lights. That's like, what do you want? And he's like, what's happening? Is there somebody really behind the curtain pulling the strings? And he's kind of yelling at me. And I kind of feel weird. And then even that, we ask him to help us. And even in that, he's like, now I want you to prove it to me. I need you to do some things for me to prove that you're good enough for this. Right? Like, go get the wicked witch's broom and her shoes. And then even when we do those things and we come back to him and ask for help, he's still a little mad at us. He's like, you want me to do what? Do you want me to send you home? He's still a little irritated at us. Listen, that's not who God is. Okay? That's not God. God is loves us. He's our loving Heavenly Father. In fact, He was the only one in line for us. What line am I talking about? The line of people willing to lay down their lives to pay for a sin that we committed. That's a pretty short line. There's no politicians in that line. There's no celebrities. There's no doctors. There's no self-help books. There's no fitness trainers. There's no nobody in that line. Only Jesus, because he loves you. That's who he is. But we have to let that realization sink in. Let all the lies of the enemy and all the things of culture that tries to put on us and and years of, of, of religious thinking and things that have blinded us, like God loves us. He's our loving, heavenly father. Uh, we, I mentioned the book Lamentations earlier, which is the book of complaining. It's a lament. It's like, oh, woe is me, right? But in the middle of all this complaining, because of all the terrible things that he'd been through, chapter 3, verse 21, he says, besides all this stuff I've been through, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. So even in the middle of some stuff, I can bring some things to mind that'll give me hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. His great love. I'm not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And this is the part we need to grab a hold on. I say to myself, so we are with ourselves 100% of the time. I'm only with you a little bit. Your spouse is only with you a little bit, but you with you 100% of the time. So you can speak to yourself better than anybody else. And if you don't like what you're telling to yourself, that's, that's a bigger problem. He says, I say to myself, we need to do this. We need to say some things to ourselves. We need to silence the lies we've been telling ourselves that we're not good enough and I'm never going to make it. We need to silence those lies. Stop saying those things. Well, this is just all I got. This is just the little bit I'm going to have. And begin to declare what God's word says is that we're his beloved sons and daughters. Like we're not slaves. We're his sons and daughters. He loves us so much. Jesus loves me. He says, therefore. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So when we're going through a bad day, we need to remember how much God loves us, right? We need to begin to remind ourselves God loves me. Here's the second declaration. I know that God wants the best for me. I know that God wants the best for me, right? So here again is correcting that picture we have of God. He's not a withholding God. He's not a puppet master. He's not trying to make us do things for us. Now, since you did good, I guess I'll give you a little bit. No, that's not who he is. That's who the enemy wants to see 
convince us that he is, but that's not who he is. Let me show you. Romans chapter 8 give you a picture of who God is. What then shall we say in response to these things and to all the things that we've been going through? So there's the question of the day for us. What's our response? Truthfully, we can respond any way we want. God has given us that ability and he's given us that right. We can respond in complaining. We can respond in doubt. We can respond in fear. We can respond in anger. We can respond in any way. So what's our response? He says, so if God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare his own son and gave him up for us all, will he also not along with him graciously give us all things? So here's this. He's not withholding it. He's not trying to keep it back from us. He's giving us graciously and generously all things. Another scripture says he's given us everything that we need, everything that we need that pertains to this life and to live it in a way that is godly and pleases him. So how will he not? Uh, I, I read that already. I'm, I'm getting excited, getting ahead of myself. Verse 35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? What about famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're faced death all day long. It's sheep sent to be slaughtered. Some of us feel like that. Like, I feel like I'm about to die. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. Another translation says, in all these things, we have overwhelming victory. Overwhelming victory is yours because Christ loves you. Come on, somebody. That's a good place to give him some praise. Overwhelming victory is ours. So I know that he loves me. I know that he has good. He wants the best for me. Here's the third one is I know that God has a plan for me. I know that God has a plan for me. Realizing that God is at work even when we don't see it, right? Even when we don't see it. Truthfully, when we're in the middle of pain, when we're going through a season that doesn't make sense, oftentimes God will use that place to reveal our calling. Sometimes we want to get out of those places so quickly that instead if we would just draw close to the heart of the Father in those moments, he will reveal our calling. It will reveal our purpose in those moments, right? I know in my own life, Heather and I, uh, before we moved here, uh, before we were part of, of, of the team that launched this church, we were going through a season that we call our wilderness season. So we felt like the children of Israel wandering in the desert. We felt like there's no place for us. We had been at a church for a long time. And then uh, there was just some painful things that had happened, some uh, wounds that were inflicted, and we ended up, we, we're going to another church, but we just never felt like there's, we can't fit there. We don't fit there. God, where are we supposed to be? We want to be doing something with our life. I want my life to count. God, what do you have for me? And you know what we heard? Nothing. Nothing. For a long time. This is close to two years. We're in this place just frustrated, complaining. God, I feel like you never listened to me. Where are you? My life wasn't supposed to go this direction. What's happening? And it's in this place of pain, this place of discomfort, that God began to reveal our destiny and our calling. It was in that place that uh, Heather had a vision uh, that brought us here to Orlando, that opened my heart when our founding pastor, Pastor Caleb, asked me to come. Hey, would you move to a, a city? I don't know which one yet, but would you move to a city with us and help us start a church? Yes, let's go. I mean, that was my answer. I called Heather after that meeting. And I was like, guess what? We're moving with Caleb and Sarah to start a church. She was like, no, we're not. It's <laughs> the conversation. We were still deciding between two cities. We weren't even sure. And it was in those places. But without going through that place, I wouldn't be here with y'all. 
because I would have been too comfortable. I would have been just like, well, I'm just, I'm just staying here, right? And it's, that's what we see, uh, uh, you know, with the baby eagle. I don't know if you've ever uh, known about eagles, but when they're baby, the moms put all the feathers and the down in the nest, and it's all comfy, right? The nest is actually built out of uh, sticks and twigs, but the, the mama, when that egg is in there, she makes it all soft and, and nice. And then the baby, uh, you know, when it's coming out of the egg, um, it's, a, it's a thick egg, and there's a, a thing on the end of its beak that's used to pluck the egg. And so oftentimes what has happened is when uh, people, like, when people have seen the egg, you know, or whatever, they want to try to help it out of there. Oh, we need to help it out. Of, look how hard it's working. But when that actually, like, handicaps the eagle of breaking out of those things, of going through those difficult things, because it's actually the process of breaking out of that thing that begins to help it to go through and become the eagle that we see them soaring up through the sky. Same thing as that baby eagle continues to grow. Mama is keeping that nest nice and soft, right? And the baby's all comfy in there, right? And then mama, I'm hungry. Give me some food. Give me some food. And mama comes with a worm, like, like feeds the bird, like, sorry if you just threw up in your mouth. The mama's feeding the baby, you know, and the baby's all happy and flying around. And then, you know, the day comes, the baby starts getting too old. And mama's like, you got to go. You got to get out of here. But that baby's just going to stay right there because it's soft. I've got all my meals taken care of and everything is good. So you know what that mama does? She starts pulling the feathers out of the nest little by little. That's pulling out. Now I skip a meal. You ain't getting my, this is for me. Now I get now another baby's getting a little hungry. Start, what's that poking me? Starts getting uncomfortable in that nest. And before long, like all there is is sticks and it feels uncomfortable. What's happening? I don't even know how to fly. And he gets to the edge of that nest and he's got to get out of there and he jumps down, right? And that baby's got to learn to fly real fast. But it's going through some difficult things like that, going through all that uncomfortable things that actually allows the eagle to grow and become the thing that, man, we see today as as one of the most majestic birds that can just one flap and just soar. But had it not gone through all the difficult and through all the pain, it wouldn't have known how to be that eagle. It's going through some things that God can reveal our destiny if we'll draw in close to who he is. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. So God has plans for us. Plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. It's good, right? God has a plan for our lives. Here's the last one, number four. I know that God will bring me through. The fourth declaration is I know God will bring me through. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm in the middle of, I know. I'm taking some assurance that God will bring me through this. In uh, 2 Timothy, Paul is writing uh, to someone that he calls his, his son in the faith. So he wasn't his natural son, but he said, Timothy, you're my son in the faith. And he's saying, I'm not going to see you again. Uh, I'm going to die, and I'm giving you some final instructions, some final things that you need to do. Because he had raised Timothy up and had left him to lead the churches. You need to lead these people, and here's what you need to teach them. Here's how things need to go. And he's giving them these final kind of instructions, right? In chapter 4, verse 18, 2 Timothy, he says this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. I remember uh, last summer when I first, this verse really like hit home for me. There's a, a guy who's a pastor in my life was speaking and he's talking about uh, how God spoke to him through this. And um, as I read this verse, I was in Beijing. My mom lived there and she had just passed. And so I was, I was reading this verse and I was like, okay, God, well, 
what, how's that going to happen? Which one are you going to do? Because I thought you were going to rescue her. I thought you were going to, like, so what's going to happen? And you know what the answer was, was yes. It's like, what? It's like, yes, sometimes God shows up on this earth and does some things and rescues us. And sometimes he shows up and we step into eternity and we're for, with him forever and rescues us. Amen. And both are just as good. Right? Both are just as good. That, that's what he's saying. So, and he will rescue us from every evil attack and bring us into his heavenly kingdom. So he's just showing us right here, we are in a win-win situation. What can you do to a person in that place? Right? Even when they threaten Paul, like, stop preaching about Jesus. Are we going to cut your head off? He was like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> right? And then he wrote, for me to for live, for, if I'm to live, then I can continue preaching and it's good for you. But for me to die is gain and that's better for me to go be with Jesus. And I can't, you just, if you just take off my head, you'll settle the issue, right? You, like you can't mess, you can't steal somebody's joy, you can't steal somebody's peace. Whatever situation comes, it doesn't matter because I'm in a win-win situation and whether God shows up on this side and does something for me, great. He'll still show up on this side and I'll get to be with him forever one day and that's great. Whatever comes my way, it doesn't matter. God is there. It is finished. He's for me. God has got this. I don't have to be worried about this. I have assurance in who he is. I know he's all powerful. He knows better than me and I don't have to worry about it. He's got this. So the band's going to come up here in just a moment. Why don't we just take these moments here together? I believe God is moving in this place. and They're going to lead us in this uh, worship in just a minute, but can we just all across this room bow our heads and close our eyes just uh, in a moment of prayer together? 